This is Ed Stetzer, and we are back again here on Ed Stetzer Live. I'm broadcasting live from my studio here at Mariner's Church in Southern California. And, you know, we're on across the country. And a lot of you also listen to via the podcast, and I, I encourage you to do that because, you know, it's if you're Saturday morning or early afternoon, it's not always a time when you're available to listen. But now increasingly numbers subscribe to this via podcast. You can listen during the week and follow along with the different episodes and conversations that we have. We try to have conversations that will challenge you, help you think, um, help you engage your neighbor and more. Alistair McGrath, for example, is going to be our guest today. And we're going to jump into our conversation with him in just a moment. He's a former atheist and, and now kind of a leader, leading thinker in uh, the way we have share our faith and engage our culture around us as well. I'm going to talk about more about him in just a moment. But let me remind you, as always, you can find all the resources that we're going to talk about on the program today at edstetzerlive.com. Uh, links to the book we're going to talk about, uh, links to uh, to Al- Alistair McGrath's min- ministry page, scholar page, those kinds of things as well. They're all there at edstetzerlive.com. Also, we're counting down the weeks until the amazing Courtney Young is no longer our engineer. So we want to say thanks to her. Uh, she's uh, she's getting uh, getting married soon and moving up to the hinterland of Canada, the Great White North, as they call it. So we just want to give a special thanks to her at the top of the program as well, as it just seems kind of like we're, Courtney, I don't know, we've only got like, how, how many weeks left until there's, until we're in a post-Courtney era? Um, next week is my last week. Next week is your last week. Yes. So this is the next to last. Well, you, we are going to miss you, but just to kind of publicly embarrass you, we do appreciate you uh, each <laughs> and every time. This is the penultimate episode of Ed Stetzer Live with Courtney uh, serving as engineer. So we appreciate you. Oh, well, thanks, Ed. Love you lots. Okay. All right. So let's let's jump right into our conversation with our guest. By the way, I didn't warn her I was going to do that. So, and she's always happy to spin dials and make us sound good and stay connected. But once in a while, it's good for you to hear the great team that we have at work here behind the scenes at Moody Radio, including um, uh, Courtney Young, Karen Hendrens, our engineer Bob, also is working with. Uh, with Courtney as well, and Lisa's on the phones today. Okay, so let me tell you about our conversation today. Um, We've got a a conversation in and around a new book by Alistair McGrath and uh, Dennis Alexander. It's a new book called Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. There's a little of a backstory here. So Alistair McGrath is a former atheist who studied natural sciences at Oxford before switching to theology. Uh, he's been, he served as a professor of science and religion at Oxford University from 2014 to 2022. And he's the author of, and this is maybe where many of you would have engaged, but, but I will tell you, I'm, I'm writing a book on the future of evangelicalism and, and, uh, Alistair McGrath has really no unpublished thoughts. So there's lots, lots to draw from, but the book that I think this building on is called the Dawkins delusion. And that just kind of became this huge bestseller, the Dawkins delusion, atheist fundamentalism and the denial of the divine. So you're joining us, I, I'm guessing, from the UK, maybe even there in the hallowed halls of Oxford. But thanks for joining us today, Alistair McGrath. Well, I'm really glad to be with you. I look forward to our conversation. Excellent, excellent, and good. And so I was, I was just, I met with my, I'm bringing a group of students over. I, I was Before we came online, I was explaining, I teach in December, uh, we do a, uh, we call it an evangelism workshop at Wycliffe Hall, which is the, uh, I guess we just, they describe themselves as the evangelical 
uh, college in the heart of Oxford. Oxford's a series of colleges and universities. And, uh, and so I, I love the fact that we're talking about evangelism. I love the fact that thoughtful people are talking about evangelism. So let's jump in and talk a little bit um, about the book. Let me just remind everybody. And we're actually going to give a few copies of the book away uh, as well to thoughtful callers with insightful questions or comments. It's not just call in and get a book. But the, uh, the book, the co-written book is called Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. Now, Alice McGrath, I don't know how it works that Dawkins is a um, is a motivation to faith in Christ. So you're going to have to explain a little bit about the title. So let's jump in. You tell us more. Well, let me tell you, um, Dennis Alexander and I talk a lot about science and faith. And we began to notice about five years ago that a lot of people were talking to us about In fact, having read Richard Dawkins, finding him to have hopelessly overstated the case for atheism and began to look at things all over again. In other words, they were saying, look, Dawkins isn't right. I want to look at this all over again. They read Dawkins very critically and thought there has to be something better than Richard Dawkins. And to cut a very long story short, they rediscovered Christianity. So we have this remarkable situation here that we have 12 people. Um, from all walks of life, who in effect are saying Richard Dawkins was our gateway to faith, although not, I think, in the way that Richard Dawkins would be very happy about. So it's a remarkable story, and I hope it's a very encouraging story as well. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. And of course, if you don't mind, uh, go back a little bit to the Dawkins delusion that just sort of Oh gosh! I mean, it just—it was everywhere. It was everywhere because I think—I think in a sense, you know, Dawkins cast such a significant shadow, and a lot of Christians were asking questions. And you came, and not just helped answer some of the objections, but well, kind of pivoted and said, "Let's think more about the divine." So tell us about the Dawkins delusion, and and what, I guess one question: Why do you think it became such a significant bestseller? I think people were looking for reassurance that Christianity was able to to meet up to the challenge that Richard Dawkins provided. And so my wife and I, we, co- we collaborated. She's a psychologist. I was a scientist and a theologian. And we really felt that Richard Dawkins had hopelessly overstated. So we, in effect, we just raised a question as to whether Richard Dawkins, in effect, was deluded himself. In other words, he, he did not have the evidence base to say there is no God. And therefore, in effect, he depended on rhetoric and very abrasive argument to make his case. And the book sold very, very well, and it's partly because it was one of the first books to be published in response to Dawkins. And I'm very pleased to say that longer and better ones came along later, but we felt it was really important to get a Christian voice in the public domain as quickly as possible so that everyone knew there were some good answers could be given to Richard Dawkins' critique of faith. Yeah, I love it. I'm actually, um, I'm a teaching pastor here at this church where I'm broadcasting from, and we're we're doing a series in the in January, February, we call on the table. We look at hard issues, and my assignment is to talk about you know Christians and science. And so I'm going to draw some from this book. And again, the, the book, the book for those just listening and joining us, we're going to invite you to call in just a minute. It's called um, "Coming to Faith Through Dawkins." But then the subtitle kind of explains what it is: Twelve Essays on the Pathway from New Atheism to Christianity. So there's a series of contributors that actually sort of write in and around this topic. And, and you and Dennis serve as the editors of this, write, write as well, but then serve as the editor of this and sort of, you know, explaining uh, how people have responded, have, have they come to faith and more. Uh, let me invite you, because my guess is as listeners, you might have questions about how do you engage this 
you know, the, 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 an atheist? How do you engage somebody who maybe has spiritual questions and more? So, so I want to I invite you to jump in this conversation uh, with us. Uh, but, but let me just ask a couple more questions before we do get to those calls. And, um, you know, what, what is new atheism to people who are unfamiliar? Because it's obviously you've got the modifier new before it. And, you know, as you talk to these contributors, what is it about new atheism that helped them change their minds? Well, new atheism is, is a phrase used by a journalist called Gary Wolf, and he, he invented it really to refer to the very aggressive form of atheism you found in Richard Dawkins, in Daniel Dennett, and of course later in Christopher Hitchens. And I think the key point here is that really um, there's nothing new about the new atheism, apart from the fact that it's so aggressive, so um, it, it, it overstates hopelessly. And I think people really bought into it because it seemed so simple, so obviously right. But it came, I think it became clear very quickly that it was overstated, that in effect it was simplistic, not simple. And the, the guy, Gary Wolf, who invented this label, the New Atheism, himself said that he was alienated by its very, very um, uh, aggressive rhetoric, its overconfidence, and above all, its sheer arrogance. So he, he was worried about the damage this might do to atheism. So my guess is that mm, some of your listeners will have heard the phrase new atheism, but you know, it's beginning to fade away. I mean, people at the time thought this is the future. This is, in effect, the end of religion in America. This is, in effect, the, the death knell for, um, for, for Christianity. In fact, it, it's not at all. It, it really has provoked at least some people to re-examine Christianity and that's what's so interesting about this book but in fact these days when I'm talking to student audiences I very often have to explain to them who Richard Dawkins actually is because they've kind of not heard of him so things have moved on but it's really important to be able to reassure people that there are very good answers that can be given to the kind of questions Richard Dawkins was asking yeah and it's interesting even last night um not last night Wednesday night I was teaching at my church and uh, we have a we're going through a, doing a systematic theology, and I happen to be talking about um, anthropology and talking about you know coming to issues of science. And you know, someone raised their hand and said, you know, um, after we did a Q and A, and said, you know, my my son's seventeen, he's got real questions about science and more. And you know, this is a, an area where people wonder if I delve into some of these questions. Matter of fact, if I read some, you know, Christopher Hitchens, or if I read uh, Dawkins or others, will I be convinced? of the implausibility of the Christian faith or are there answers? So, I mean, how do you, how do you respond to somebody who says, you know, should I look into some questions of science related to God or will that, will that tempt or, or undermine my faith? I think what you ought to do is talk to some of your friends who've thought this through. You know, you may have friends who are scientists and just say to them, hey, tell me about uh, how you hold your science and your faith together. Because very often the best people to, to talk about this question are actually pastors or senior friends of yours who, who have a scientific background. They can say, look, here's how I make sense of this. Because Richard Dawkins will throw a lot of stuff your way and you, you may not know how to answer it. I think it's very, very good to have someone who, who is a reassuring presence in the field who can say to you, look, uh, Dawkins is making a point here, but actually he overstates hopelessly and explain to you what the issues are and reassure you that this makes sense and in effect hold you by the hand as they talk you through the issues. Maybe this book we're talking about today might be helpful, but I think, you know, look out for older friends who thought these things through because they might be able to help you as well. 
Good. Love it. We're going to continue our conversation with Alistair McGrath in just a minute. The book we're talking about is his co-edited book, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. We kind of established who Dawkins is, and, and really we're talking about new atheism. We're going to jump in with your calls in just a few moments. 877-548-3675. I imagine you want to engage somebody who may have you know lack of belief or, or suspicion towards the Christian faith. Let's talk about how to do that. Atheists, agnostics, and more. 877 877- Five four eight three six seven five. Hey, we're back. We're continuing our conversation with Alistair McGrath, and I, I want you to know that I'm like, you know, just you know, just full disclosure, a confession right here on Ed Stetzer Live is I'm kind of a big fan of Alistair McGrath. His writing has been influential and impactful in my life. So I'm super excited to have him on the program as well. I also love that he's talking about a topic that seems to be of interest to you based on the fact that there are, uh, there are a bunch of phone calls coming in. Our number, again, if you want to be on the, in the conversation, is uh, 877-548-3675. So uh, the book is called Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. And again, it comes back to this idea of this uh, rather strident uh, atheist uh, who has kind of pushed a lot of people and caused a lot of people to ask questions. Alistair McGrath wrote a prior book called The Dawkins Delusion, Atheist Fundamentalism and the Denial of the Divine. And now he's co-authored with or co-edited with Dennis Alexander, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. And so we're jumping into a conversation in and around that. Um, before we jump into our calls, let me just remind everyone the number one more time, 877-548-3675. And we're going to give away a few copies of the book to brilliant callers. Um, so before, before we get to there, one of the things that's kind of fascinating about the book is it's, it is a, you know, you know, as you know, book with contributors can be, can be really not so great. And then sometimes it can be really amazing. And it really depends on kind of the approach to contributors. But I love how these people come from a variety of backgrounds. And then ultimately, you know, on this faith journey. So well, the story shared in the book, talk to us a little bit about what's most transformative from the ones that you kind of edited and walked through together. Well, I think that they're all good in their different ways. I mean, we begin with Seigart, who's a uh, natural scientist in America, who in effect tells us how, how Richard Dawkins really raised some questions for him. But as he looked at these, he began to realize that Richard Dawkins, in fact, had deep problems with his own ideas and really began to realize that there were other ways of looking at science than those that Richard Dawkins um, set out. So that's, that was very interesting. Another one that's really interesting is by an Australian journalist. This is Sarah Irving Stonebreaker. And she she tells the story of how she interacted with a number of atheists and then kind of way began to realize that Richard Dawkins and others, again, were just going way beyond the evidence. They were overstating. They were kind of way hoping that people wouldn't realize how, how far they drifted from the, the bedrock of evidence. Or we could look at Nick Berryman, who is an engineering manager, a very, very able person who, again, knew his science and read Dawkins and initially thought, oh, this might be rough good and then began to realize no it's not good in effect is misrepresentation what we have here is a series of people telling us about their disappointment their disillusionment with the new atheism and in effect saying this can't be right we're going to look for something better and the common theme that runs throughout these essays is basically we thought Dawkins was great he in effect didn't deliver and so we began to think let's look again at Christianity and it did deliver so it's a remarkable 
remarkable mm. collection of 12 testimonies from some really interesting people. And my guess is that many of you listening to this who go to this book will find your own questions answered in these essays because these guys are coming from all over the place telling really interesting stories of, in effect, rejecting the new atheism and reconnecting with Christianity. Love that. Love that. And I, I should tell you that I was in Australia. Uh, at, I did what's with that conference, the Katoomba Easter Convention. And Sarah Irving Stonebreaker was one of the other speakers. And she talked some about this very issue. And it was amazing. And so her chapter alone is worth the price of the book. And, and again, we're also going to give away a few copies of that as well. So let's, let's jump in with some phone calls. And we're going to start first with uh, James in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Sorry, Alistair, but I have to say something that might not make sense to you. Roll Tide, James. Good to hear you. Let's jump in with your question or your comment. Well, thank you. Roll Tide to you, too, Ed. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, love your show, of course. And my question is on the, the question of pain and suffering. Uh, that's a roadblock for a lot of people. Uh, I've read some of Dawkins' works, and, you know, in my estimation of it, basically, to a large degree, he ignores it because, you know, to him there is no God. But... You know, but to a lot of people, they say, well, and you know the traditional question, if there's a good God, then why is there pain and suffering? And like I said, I just, that's a big roadblock for a lot of people. And actually, I'll share this with you. It's on a personal level. I've got a neighbor who that's a roadblock for him. And, you know, just, just, you know, just like some, maybe some comments or helpful hints on how to approach this a little bit better. No, I think it's good, and I think this is a common question. And again, we're going to give you a copy of Coming to Faith through Dawkins. Love the fact that you've already engaged some of the Dawkins arguments uh, as as well. So stay in the line. Our producer will come on and give you a copy of the book. But Alistair, talk to us a little bit. I mean, you're you're responding to people who have questions like this, and certainly one of the more question common questions is, well, issues of theodicy or pain and suffering and more. What would you say? Well, James, I think this is a really good question. And and Dawkins doesn't really answer it, as you probably know. In fact, he says, look, what do you expect? This is just a, a meaningless world. That's the way things are. Get used to it. I think Christianity says, look, it's not that simple at all. We're dealing with um, a God who created the world, who loves us. And the, the world is fallen. We are fallen. And the whole problem of this really is that um, we, we find ourselves in a world where the suffering, we're trying to make sense of it. And one of the key questions we're really asking is, is God actually there in the midst of all the suffering? Does God care for us? Is he really there in the suffering? And here's what I would say, because I think think your question is really good, and I'm sure many listening to this show will have very similar questions. If we think about the crucifixion, okay, really important for Christians, right at the heart of the New Testament, you have Christ dying on the cross, and people are saying, well, where's God in all this? I mean, there's suffering there. Where is God? And of course, the answer is that God is working through the suffering in ways that we didn't really fully understand. And the result is that through Christ, God, uh, God brings us salvation. I think one of the, the things that's really important for me here is that God doesn't just zap sin. You know, God enters into this world and takes on suffering. That's, that's the worst thing this world can offer, in my view. And it's through this suffering that God actually demonstrates his love for us and that he is 
present in this world, even though they're suffering. So for me, it is all about the Lord being our shepherd, journeying with us as we travel through a landscape that is full of suffering. And of course, the world's a very dangerous place at the moment, as you will know. And for me, that's something really important. I think Richard Dawkins really gets why uh, Christians find this idea of the suffering of Christ so important, because it means they aren't on their own, that the Son of God, in effect, went through suffering so we can journey in hope, knowing he's with us, bringing us back to a place in which there is no suffering, namely the New Jerusalem. I say a lot more than that, but, you know, there's some very important Christian themes here which we can hold on to as we go through these difficult times. Yeah, fascinating and helpful as well. So remember, James, stay in the line, and Karen Hendren, our producer, will jump on and uh, and, and give you a copy uh, of the book, uh, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins, as well. And I'd also just commend to you, if, if you want to dig deeper under the Dawkins question, the Dawkins delusion is also helpful, atheist fundamentalism and the dial of the divine. Um, we're going to jump back to the phones in just a minute, but I wanted to ask you, you know, you have all these different essays, you have 12 essays, um, and, you know, we've heard, I've, I've heard, you know, Sarah give her talk and kind of unpacking some of that. Is the, What are the common themes and threads that you found throughout the essays? I think the common themes are these. First of all, um, as I was saying, disillusionment, disappointment. I was expecting this to be completely convincing, and maybe I thought it was to begin with. Then as I thought about, hey, it's no good. Uh, and people beginning to think, look, this guy has a huge reputation, but actually the intellectual quality of the arguments is not good. If anything, it simply takes you to agnosticism. It does not take you all the way to atheism. Another point that many writers make is, look, he seems to misrepresent or misunderstand what Christianity is all about. In other words, he almost seems to to um, to ridicule a caricature rather than the real thing. And, you know, I don't mind people critiquing Christianity because I can come back to them and say, you know, I've got some good answers for you. But I do object when people misrepresent it. And I'm afraid that's what we do find quite a lot with Richard Dawkins. There's another point which a lot of people pick up on, and it's this. They find themselves really alienated by the, the tone of absolute certainty. Dawkins presents his case for atheism as if, um, as if it's so obvious that any intelligent person can see it and, and that uh, these guys who are religious guys, you know, they're just idiots. They, they, they just cannot see what's obviously true. And, of course, Dawkins just ignores the massive philosophical arguments about whether there is a God, what God is like, and, and it is one of those big questions which people have debated down the centuries, but Dawkins just kind of takes argumentative shortcuts left, right, and center. And the final thing I think that really stands out, and again, this is something that really made people begin to ask questions about Dawkins, is that Dawkins assumes he does not need to prove his own side of the case. Uh, he lays the burden of proof on Christians. He says, I don't need to prove my beliefs because they're so obviously right. And I just want to say to him, look, you know, we all have to show our beliefs are right. Uh, you, you show me yours are right, I'll show you mine are right, and then we have a conversation. So what we find is these themes throughout this book, and each of the writers explores at least one or two of these, sometimes four or four. I think it's really interesting to hear somebody tell their personal story of someone who began by thinking Dawkins is convincing, Dawkins is right, and then beginning to, 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 to see their atheist faith fall to pieces. They begin to realize this, this just doesn't work. It's not as good as I thought it was. I'm going to recheck what Christianity is all about, in the end, coming back to faith as a result. These stories are great. If you're a pastor, you could adapt these for, for your sermons. They're so interesting. 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think it, it ultimately addresses a question and a comment. Uh, and, and just so our listeners know, I'll actually be using this as one of the resources in, in our series here at Mariner's Church, where I'll be preaching the one on God and science. And, you know, can, can we actually believe in God if science says otherwise and more? And we'll talk some about that as well. Let's take a call. We're going to go to Lisa up in Idaho. Lisa, you're live on the air with Alistair McGrath. Go with your question and your comment. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. My question is, if someone doesn't yet believe, and it's plain to me the difference, but I can't put it into words, between circular reasoning based on the things that non-believers, atheists might assert, and the fact that biblical truth reinforces itself at other places in the Bible, because I'm thinking if you're not yet a believer, it might look like the same thing. It might look like circular reasoning, but I know we're based on facts, but I know that because I believe and, and because the Bible is accurate and true. Yeah, what a great question. I mean, the, the, the circular reasoning question is a common objection that many atheists will have as well. So, Lisa, if you'll hold on the line, we're going to give a after after you hear Alshon McGrath's answer, uh, we're going to give you a copy of Coming to Faith through Dawkins. So, so Alshon McGrath, tell us, what do you think? Well, Lisa, this is a really good question, and I'm sure there are lots of people listening right now who say, that's a good question, I hope there's a good answer, and I'm going to give you an answer which I hope you'll find helpful. If you look at atheist philosophers like, I'll give you the example of Alex Rosenberg, who wrote a, a, a very famous book on kind of a, why atheism can dispense with delusions of faith. What he says is, look, reality is limited to what science is able to prove, and that means that things like right and wrong are meaningless, there's no meaning to life, there is no God, because in effect science tells us all that we need to know, and if, you, if science doesn't tell us it, it's not there. But he himself makes a really important concession in that book, and namely that the belief that science is able to answer all our questions is circular. It's precisely this question that you've raised. Actually, it's not just Christianity which might be thought to have a problem with circular reasoning. It's very much um, a problem for atheists. And I think you were bringing that point out very clearly, that in effect, um, atheists very often find that they're tied in, in a kind of lot of arguments and they're chasing each other's tail. I think that is a very important point. One of them is, is this, that in effect, belief in God's a kind of wish fulfillment. You know, we, we believe in God because we, 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 we're so inadequate, so hopeless. We need this as a kind of comforter or something like that. But the key point is that Christians believe in God because they can see the evidence. It's, it's something that stands out as being true. I think this is the point you were getting at. It's all there in the Bible. It makes sense. And we can bring this all together. And it works. Excellent, excellent. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Alistair McGrath. We're talking about, well, his, his new book that kind of builds on prior book, and it's edited, but it's called Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. We're going to continue with your calls, 877-548-3675. Your calls with Alistair McGrath in just a second. back at Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer. I am the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Right back to some of the conversations we're having. I was just meeting this week with one of our professors, John Bloom, who leads our science and religion program. So 
love to have these kinds of conversations. I think we should lean in, not back out of these conversations as well. I think they're important. We're taking your calls with Alistair McGrath. His new book he's edited with Dennis Alexander. It's called Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. And again, you might have interacted with his prior one of his prior books. He's got plenty, but called The Dawkins Delusion, Atheist Fundamentalism and the Denial of the Divine. We're taking your calls about oh, engaging in and around these questions around atheism and atheists and more. 877-548-3675. Again, 877-548-3675. Five four eight three six seven five. One of the things I want to ask before we jump back to the calls is there's there's right now a lot of conversation in the UK. Donna and I lived there in the UK for the uh, fall, or as you call it, the autumn. And these were questions that people were talking about there at Wycliffe Hall, where I was teaching and living for the fall. And so in the West, a lot of people are talking about deconversion. Now there's not. I just did a. I just did a podcast. I have a podcast called the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. If anyone's interested, they can easily find that. And we just had a conversation with a researcher named Ryan Burge who said statistically, you know, ex-evangelicals are not really a large number, but right now it's a large part of the conversation. Maybe maybe a bit like when Dawkins was publishing The God Delusion and more. Um, so when you kind of walk through and try to engage somebody who's left the faith, they often left the faith in around issues of not always, but science and scientism certainly becomes a part of that. How, how do you respond to that, Alistair McGrath? How do you help maybe uh, talk to a Christian who's looking in science and saying, well, maybe I really can't believe anymore because what I was taught turned out not to be true. And in some cases, maybe they weren't taught well. In some cases, maybe they just have changed their mind. Well, I think that there are two things I'd say to them, Ed. I think, first of all, I'd listen to them and talk and say, look, do tell me what led to this, what, 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 what made you make this step. But I think very often the conversations I've had of people who've kind of way walked away like this are very often focused on two themes. One of them is um, I kind of got the idea that Christianity was a habit I'd fallen into, and I, I, I couldn't quite see how Christianity connected up with me. And I think that's a very important point, because very often when we're talking to people about faith, we stress its truth, its reliability, and these are wonderful things to stress. But we also need to talk about the way it connects up with us, the, the difference that actually makes to the way we live, the way it brings hope and meaning and significance in life. And these are really important themes. Sometimes, perhaps when we're teaching Christianity, we don't really make enough of the difference that it actually makes to life. We just reassure people it's true. So I think very often people have left the faith because they don't quite understand the difference it makes to them. And I very often find that beginning a conversation with them about the difference that faith makes to the way you, you think about the world, the way you feel about yourself, the way you understand things actually is a very helpful way away. But the second point is, I think, also really quite important. And that is that very often people walk away from faith but they keep looking back. In other words, they they are really um, very, very sad about doing this, but they, they don't see it as being a final walk away. They keep looking back. And I think we can have conversations with them that might be really helpful. And again, one of the things I found to be really helpful is that very often um, they walk away from faith to something else. And what I think is really helpful about this book we're talking about in, in the show today is, in effect, it says, look, there are people here who walked away from Richard Dawkins because, in effect, they, they began by thinking this guy's right and then were disillusioned by him. 
So if you like, there's a comparable phenomenon help happening within atheism right at the moment of people who are initially drawn to atheism and then find themselves utterly disillusioned and walked and very often hmm. walked into Christianity. So I think it's helpful yeah. and encouraging to realize that's happening, but it's also important to realize that there's some very good reasons why people do find Christianity so exciting. And 12 contributors to this volume, I think, do say some really helpful things that I think could find a way into sermons, discussion groups, and so on. Yeah, yeah, super helpful. Okay, good. Let's jump into some of our calls. We're going to go to Lindsay, who is in a place I've never heard of before, but Blooming Grove, Texas. Welcome from Blooming Grove, Texas. Lindsay, you're live on the air. Hi, welcome. Um, so my question is, if you're interacting with an atheist for just a short amount of time, what are your number one go-to key references from the Bible that could possibly make the biggest impact to changing their heart? Great question, oh. Lindsay. May remember to hold on the line, too. We're going to give you a copy of Coming to Faith Through Dawkins by Alistair McGrath and Dennis Alexander. So what do you think? you got a short conversation. What are the what are the key things? And Lindsay also said from the Bible. I, wanna, I wonder if that's where you would start, or how would you start? I would certainly end up with the Bible. I might not start there, but simply because I want to keep the conversation going. I might say, oh, tell me more about this. What are you interested in? Because uh, what, what do you think is really important in life? Because that's going to help me navigate my way to the right biblical reference that might be really helpful to me. And for example, supposing this person says to me, hey, I just feel so lonely, so alone. I might say, oh, I know exactly what you mean. Have you read Psalm 23? Let me tell you about this, all about the Lord being my shepherd. Wherever I go, he's with me. He Even I go through the really bad times. Or someone might say, oh, nobody loves me. And I might say, oh, I, I know what you mean. It, it, it's, it's really, really a big issue, isn't it? But Christians, in fact, can be reassured of the love of God for each of us. And I might quote John 3.16, this wonderful reassurance of uh, God loving the world so much he gave Christ for us, or uh, Paul talking about the same theme in Galatians. But the point is, it's always helpful, I think, just to begin by getting a sense of where this person's coming from, and then perhaps finding the right Bible verse that might speak into that situation. Because when I have these conversations, one of the things I really want to do is to keep that conversation going. It's a bit like, you know, Paul preaching in Athens and some didn't really like him very much. Some said, though, we would like to hear more about this. And that's where I want to leave people saying, oh, that's interesting. I want, in effect, to follow through in this conversation. The great news is there is so much there in Scripture for us to discover. But I think because there is so much there really helps us to get a sense of where someone's coming from, what, what issues they're engaging. And that might help you point to particular biblical verses. There's a wonderful range of choices there. Yeah, for sure. How we, and Lindsay, remember, stay on the, the line. We're going to give you, uh, and Karen, my producer, will jump on the line, is going to give you a copy of the book, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. You know, when you're starting some of these conversations, now you, your own journey includes a journey from atheism to Christian faith. Uh, when you're starting the conversation, where do you, is it just kind of based upon where, I mean, you talk about Paul in Athens and he starts with, you know, quoting their poets and philosophers and in Pisidian Antioch, he goes to history. So is it just depend on each situation or are there certain common starting points when someone who's maybe pretty aggressively atheist and you have a conversation with them? Well, people know I used to be an atheist. Now, one of the things they very often say is, look, uh, tell us why you stopped being an atheist. Um, I think 
the idea is they'll be able to argue me out of Christianity. But it's really interesting. Oh. So when I talk about, um, you know, having been an atheist and then beginning to realize, for example, that atheism really is a faith, that you can't prove it's right. An atheist is somebody who believes that there is no God, but they can't prove that that is true. I, I will very often say to my atheist friends, look, um, you and I are both people of faith. You believe there's no God. I believe there is a God. So how are we going to sort this out? And this really gets them angry because they'll say no no i'm not a person of faith i'm somebody who knows that there is no god and i will then obviously just say look can you can you prove that there is no god no they can't there's a very interesting debate on youtube between richard dawkins and rowan williams back in uh, 2012 at oxford and there's a very interesting point in the conversation where richard dawkins realizes he cannot prove that there is no god and therefore a it's a belief and actually he might end up having to describe himself as being an agnostic it's really interesting and it does bring mm. home this really important point it's not just christians who are faith and that can be a really good starting point for a very helpful conversation. Fascinating. Great. Remember, our number is 877-548-3675. Just to press that question just a, a, a little bit more, because I want to kind of get a feel for how you'd respond to this. Because what, what we hear from sometimes from atheists, some of the more aggressive atheists, is, well, you know, i got to disprove the existence of God or prove that God doesn't exist is... The same thing is, how do I prove does the flying spaghetti monster not exist? You know, how do I, how do I know? Why, why is it my responsibility to prove something that you have just claimed that you've made up or someone in the past has made up and you've believed in? So I want you to weigh in on that in just a moment. We're going to take one more segment with calls 877-548-3675. I can't wait to come back and talk about the flying spaghetti monster. You don't want to miss it. 877. There's a reason I give that example that he knows. But again, 877-548-3675. back. Uh, our guest, Alistair McGrath, are having a really fascinating conversation. I want to encourage you after the program, you can share the link for this. Go to edstetzerlive.com. You might share it with others. might share it with people who have questions and maybe they're wrestling with some things or maybe they're trying to engage somebody who is. The book is Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. Alistair McGrath and Dennis Alexander edited this series of 12 essays and stories. Okay, before the break, we were talking a little bit about, you know, Dawkins saying, you know, I shouldn't have to prove this, but then in this, in this debate with uh, Rowan, he kind of maybe said, well, maybe Maybe I have some, well, maybe I'm more agnostic than atheist. But, of course, you know, the response to that is, well, why should I have to prove that the flying spaghetti monster doesn't exist, which is kind of a satirical, I mean, this whole thing is even a Wikipedia article, and, you know, they, they can't put it on Wikipedia if it's not true. So what, 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 <laughs> what, what is the obligation to disprove something, and why does that matter? Well, I think we all have to show why we believe certain things to be right. And Richard Dawkins believes there is no God. Then, you know, tell me why you think that. So an argument about it, because in effect, he just self-describes himself as an atheist, i.e. someone who does not believe there is a God. In fact, more than that, who believes that there is no God. That's how he self-defines. I'm simply saying, look, you self-define like that. Tell me why you take that position because i don't think it's right i used to be there i'm not there anymore let's have a discussion so in effect by describing himself as an atheist he is in effect defining the whole things we're going to talk about but here's the point i'd want to make to someone who um, has to face up to richard dawkins analogy of a flying spaghetti monster i would say to this um i i i've talked to lots of people i haven't met a single person yet who believes in a flying spaghetti monster i've met oh so many people who do believe in god 
It, it, it is that that is the issue that has to be discussed. What Dawkins is simply trying to do is sidetrack us to an irrelevance because he knows if we talk about belief in God, he is going to lose the argument. And that is what is so interesting about this collection of 12 essays, that there are people who, in effect, deconstruct Dawkins and begin to find him wanting, inadequate um, at some very interesting points. So if, you, if you're talking to somebody who wants to bring in Spaghetti Monster, just say, name me someone who takes that seriously. Right, right. No, I think that's helpful. It's helpful. Again, last call for your calls, uh, 877-548-3675. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, do a kind of a, a lightning round. We're going to uh, be able to go to our callers, and I'm going to go to Al, and then I'm going to go to uh, Jeannie, and then I'm going to go to uh, Guy if we have time to do all these. But I need you to be quick on your comments, and then we'll ask uh, Alison McGrath to respond quickly to those comments and give you a copy of the book if you can do it quickly. <laughs> Al, you're up first. Munster, Indiana, you're live on the air. Go jump right in. Okay. Thank you both. I admire both of you. You guys have heard a lot of each one of you. But anyway, I wanted to discuss uh, or a answer the question about how much these two guys, uh, Hitchens, uh, Dawkins, and others, uh, sidetrack. You just mentioned sidetracking by um, conflating religion and the existence of God. They a lot of time argue their problems with religion and paint that as a problem with the existence of God. And that is not a valid argument, um, but it's commonly used. And both of them are too smart to know that that's not an argument, but they pull it out all the time. Okay, good. Good good comment, Al. Uh, hold on. We're going to give a copy of Coming to Faith Through Dawkins right after uh, Alistair McGrath responds. What do you think about Al's comment? Uh, Al, that's a great comment, and you're quite right. There, there's no universal category of religion. In effect, we just use this word religion very, very, um, very, very loosely. And very often, what is a religion um, involves atheism, a kind of Buddhism, for example. So, in effect, the real problem is that Dawkins is, is using this word religion to designate stuff he doesn't like. But it's a very, very vague, very, very imprecise way of speaking. So I think you've got a good point there. I mean, he's sidetracking us by, in effect, distracting us from the really interesting questions and in effect globalizing this idea of religion when in fact um, we're talking really about believing in God and that means we're talking primarily about Christianity and we need to ask what does Christianity say about this and give some good answers to those questions. Love it. And I just want to say we have the greatest callers with the most in, in articulate question. We are articulate questions. We appreciate it so much. We're going to go to Jeannie and I think it's Burlington, Kentucky. Jeannie, you're live on the air with your question or comment. Jump right in. Yes, hi. Thank you for taking my call. I'm just thrilled to get through. Um, my question is about Gnosticism. Um, I have two sons who were um, Christian and um, professed faith uh, to the point of, in high school, starting Bible study outside of their, their school, and to now the point that they both have gotten into some um, research, and in that research they um, did some psychedelic drugs which took them into what they call the supernatural, you know, state and enlightenment. Um, so I, I'm having a real difficult time how to ask them questions to draw them more towards Jesus, the Bible, God, and the inherent word um, from that and dispelling the things that have gotten them to that point. 
Fascinating. And do you, what a fascinating question. Do I want to give you a copy of uh, Alistair McGrath's book? And again, it's coming to faith through Dawkins. I actually thought, you know, we, we, our, our call screener comes on and I was reading your question and I thought you were talking about agnosticism, but you're actually talking about actually Gnosticism. So that's fascinating. Alistair McGrath, what, what do you think? I mean, how does somebody, you know, there's obviously an openness to spirituality. Of course, Gnosticism has different expressions and people today define it differently. So what does that look like for you to try to lead person, uh, her sons to a maybe better understanding of biblical Christianity? Yeah, yeah, Jeannie, that's a really good question. And certainly Gnosticism is kind of an idea that's always been around. Uh, it's come back in quite a big way in, in um, Western culture in the last, uh, I'd say, 50 years. I think what we need to say is Gnosticism really is about a very, very um, real emphasis on the, the kind of spiritual side of things. But very often it has this idea that in some way matter is evil, is an evil world, and we need to escape from it. It's, it's all about, if you like, secret passwords to get us out of this mess we're in or something like that. And what I want to say to you is that the early Christians really engaged Gnosticism head on because in effect it was so vague, so unfocused. They were able to say, look, here is what God is really like. Here's what God has done to in effect change our human situation. And here is the hope it brings. So I think that could be helpful. But here's the other thing you mentioned. You're talking about psychedelic drugs. One of the contributors to this volume, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins, that's Ashley Land, talks about exactly this in the book. It's an essay called Seeking the Truth Via New Atheism and Psychedelic Drugs. And you, you may find mm. some, some ideas there that could be really helpful in having a, having a very good conversation. Gnosticism is a kind of old idea that's been repurposed for today, but we can still speak powerfully in response to it on the basis of knowing what the problem is and that God has really dealt with it in Christ. Love it. Great, great answer. Guy, we're going to go to you in just a moment. We, we are short on time, so I need you to jump right in. You're live. Go for it. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, for the sake of time, I just share that uh, I do pastor, and I've just over time, this phrase keeps coming back, that we should go to God to talk about, talk to, talk to God about the people before we go to the people to talk about God. Just kind of helps good. To, to engage the greater power, because I don't think we get a pass of talking about heavenly things without at least the participation of the Holy Spirit. That's Good it. word. Hey, thank you for thank you for taking the time to share, Guy. We're going to give you a copy of the book, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. Alistair McGrath, we've got just a, about a minute and a half left. So give us a word of exhortation. I want to, I've been encouraged people to get a copy of Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. I think it'll encourage them. Again, the Dawkins delusion before that, atheist fundamentalism and the denial of the divine. We live in a world where atheists sometimes have a great sense of confidence that they got the answer and we're just, you know, backwards and uninformed and uneducated. Uh, tell us what the message we might give to a world that's increasingly secular and pushing back on religious faith and practice. What I would say, particularly to you, Guy, because a great question you asked is this, look, the world is full of false certainties. The new atheism is one of these. And it's now faded away because everybody's realized it's a false certainty. We need to, in effect, begin to make sure the Christian faith connects with where people are. And your point's very good. We need, in effect, to bring God into this as a living reality, remembering that it's God who actually does the conversion. You and I can help in this process. We explain things. We point to our own lives as examples examples of people who've been changed by God. But in the end, the reason that Christianity is going to stay here and have good things to say is because we haven't invented these things. They've been entrusted to us by God. And God is with us um, as we talk about these things to our friends. 
I often go back to um, Paul in 2 Corinthians, where he talks about hearing God speak these words. Um, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And I'd say that to all those listening to this program. You aren't on your own. God's able to take you, use you, say things in you and through you. And just be reassured, God is able to take you and use you more powerfully than you might think. I think that's a really encouraging thing to say. Excellent, excellent. And thank you so much, Alistair McGrath, for being my guest today. Dennis Alexander and Alistair did this book together, edited this book together. It's called Coming to Faith Through Dawkins, 12 Essays on the Pathway from New Atheism to Christianity. He's actually suggested something I'm going to be doing. I'm using it in the sermon series that's coming up. And for those of you who want to read it as well, I encourage you to purchase it. It's available now all places that you normally find books. Today, hear today's program again, go to edstetzerlive.com. You can actually share it from there as well. Go to the Moody Radio app as well. Next week, I'm going to talk to Mitch Glazer about what's going on in Israel and how we might respond to the situation in Israel and Palestine there as well. Thanks to our team for doing the good work as well. Look forward to talking to you next week here on Ed Stetzer Live.